It's time for the No Shot Clock Podcast. We're talking the biggest stories in Illinois high school basketball. Now, here are your hosts, Michael O'Brien of the Chicago Sun-Times and Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Boost Report. Welcome in, everybody. We are a few weeks into two weeks, two weeks, Mike. Are we in just two? Yeah, just two. Uh, yeah, we just got through a Chicago Elite Classic. I shouldn't say got through. We we uh, we'll talk a little bit, probably a little bit about that. Uh, busy weekend, high school basketball, and uh, we've got our two topics, Mike, and coming up, our two takes, I should say. And then we've got our our big topic, which I I, I like. A little interesting, a little compare and contrast, look back, and also the present day. Uh, we'll get into a little bit. But Mike's probably exhausted from he did the marathon. I I I shortchanged it a little bit. Came midway through the long yeah. long day at it at was UIC. Definitely a long day. It is. I was thinking though. It is a nice break from driving for me. I at least don't have to drive a lot on the Friday and Saturday of the Chicago League Classic. You know, it's nice and close to home. So I did not miss the car, especially after all the football travels. But boy, we saw a lot of basketball. And I feel like I wrote this in the email newsletter I have that goes out on Mondays. But I feel like the job of these big events is to kind of set the stage for the season. And I feel like that's exactly what the Chicago League Classic did on Saturday night with Simeon. Uh, we'll get into that later, but I, I think job done, definitely. I guess before we get into our takes, and since we have such a positive topic uh, coming up about how we think a lot of teams are better this year, I do have a complaint, Joe. You're going to be shocked, I'm sure, to hear that I have a complaint. Well, I, what, what do we got? I really didn't like the college three-pointer line thing. The fact that they yeah. have it? That no, that it they didn't have the high school for those that weren't at the Chicago League Classic or didn't read any stories. There was no high school three point line at UIC this weekend, so the games we saw were all extremely different from what they would be like at a state tournament because there was a shot clock and there was they actually used the college three point line. If you made a high school like distance three, it wasn't a three. Um, so to me, yeah, that made it, it, it too al- weird. Al- it altered it. It altered it for sure. It wasn't the exact same. Obviously, we're not playing with a shot clock in March. We're not playing with a longer distance three-point line. And fortunately, I don't know. what. Like One of my takes was, was going to be on the shot clock, but I kind of just said, hey, I'm going to wait. But uh, just get a little bit more uh, <laughs> research and data built yeah, the, up before I... <clears throat> the only time in... I think the only shot clock violation in the event was um, U-High. Well, that was kind of my. I feel like I'm going into it today, yeah. but I, in all my games, I kind of keep in track of all the games I've taken in, <clears throat> and I think I mean I definitely haven't seen a huge issue that's come up. There have been, I think, two or three that I've seen where there was a discrepancy, or they had to double check something, or uh, I, I don't know. I, I just. Yeah, it went smoothly I, in Washington too. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, we um we'll get into our takes. My first one was I'm I'm gonna go back to the game I was at Friday night 
And I think it's interesting. I, I did write about it. It's coming up in my three-pointer column. But I took in the Hillcrest. And if anybody knows the Hillcrest program last year of what those expectations were coming into this year, they were going to be ridiculously high because yeah. of what was on paper. You know, they had all five starters back from a 26-win team. We had, you know, two division seniors, a division one junior guard. I mean, it, it was stacked. They were loaded. They were going to be a 3A state title threat. And then poof, uh, you know, I talked to Don Houston about a little bit this weekend. And, and um, you know, both those transfers, he said, were with them in June and played. And, and Isaiah Green transferred to Kenwood. And then Matt Moore, their, their division one big man, headed to UNC Wilmington, who played pretty well for Juliet West this past weekend, you know, moved on with Juliet West. They moved on to a pair of top five teams and kind of just left Hillcrest in the dust. I mean, it's obviously it's the, the kid and family's decisions to make those choices. But Hillcrest, I was interested to see how they responded or how they looked. They've responded unbelievably well. I mean, you look at their early resume uh, and after watching them on Friday night, I was, you know, I watched that game Friday night at Oak Lawn, uh, upstart unbeaten Oak Lawn team that's playing, that's played well, was fresh off a win over Mark Car Mount Carmel. So it was, it was a good test for them on the road, good crowd. Uh, they took care of business, handled it. But as I watched that game, I thought more back to what I didn't see at Thanksgiving, which were two big wins over Bloom and Marion Catholic in that Chicago Heights you know, Thanksgiving tournament. Those are two ranked teams, Mike, that they, you know, beat, took care of without their full arsenal <laughs> of players. And I was surprised by watching them. Like, I'm surprised they beat both those teams by what I'm watching on Friday night. However, then I got away from it and and I really started digging and analyzing and talked to Don Houston and and he's just so high on this group. And the the and and it, as I look closely at it from that Friday game, I could I, I saw it, but I, I, he emphasized it, and it stood out even more to me. Just their cohesiveness, their toughness. You know, Bryce Tillery isn't this; he's not a Division One basketball player. He's been around for four years. He's about a five nine point point guard who kind of sets the tone for them. Uh, just this tough, feisty leader at point guard. He just created havoc uh, in this game. They were down nine late in the third quarter, and Bryce Tillery, uh, you know, I mean, their Division One player is, is Darion Baker, and he was terrific. He kept him in the game for three quarters, as expected. A six-nine versatile guy, versatile player, is headed to Akron, who really is a difference maker, and he did play the role of that for three quarters and literally kept them in. I think he had, I think he had nineteen through three quarters, but <clears throat> you know, Hillcrest is relying on these three returning seniors of theirs. Darion Baker, Bryce Tillery, and then Quentin Heady. And all three of them stepped up. But you could see them sharing the ball. You could see what I'm saying is you could see all the things that make a team better than their parts because they were hit hard. I mean, those are two talented players they lost when you're losing a Division I big and a player who is basically considered one of the top 15 or top 20 players in the junior class. That's a big hit for any program. Hillcrest was hit hard with with depth, lack of it now, but they're undefeated. They're climbing the rankings. I think they're in your top 10 now, 
And it's just a different looking team than anyone expected or I expected based on the losses they took. But man, I, I and I, and I even have people tweet at me, this team's not very good or this team doesn't look the part. Or the, it, it wasn't the prettiest game, but I just think that's what, this is going to be a, a grinded out, gritty Hillcrest team that because they, and as Don Houston says in my story that I'm putting up, they love playing together. They're all out for one thing, uh, and that's the win. And they've got that those senior leaders to lean on. So I was just just came with a different opinion of Hillcrest. Or, well, I didn't have one going in, and now I have a pretty firm grasp on who they are and what they're going to be this year. And I, be- I believe Darian Baker started at St. Rita, right? Yes. <clears throat> which yeah. um, takes me into uh, my take, which is the transfer topic. It got hot again, um, I guess, due to a, an IHSA proposal. It, I think it started the season pretty hot because we had a lot of, you know, transfers, you know, Lamont playing without Indrositis and all that kind of stuff. But it, it has kept going. Um, if you haven't seen the story, kind of the news is that starting, shoot, today, I think, um, I think starting Today, yeah, today and, and through December 18th, um, every school in the state gets to vote on this slate of proposals the IHSA have if they want them to become rules. And one of them that was submitted by, I don't know what district it is, but the district with Andrew, Sandberg, and Stagg, um, they want this particular sentence added to the recruiting of athletes bylaw. I'm going to read the whole sentence here. If you don't understand it, Don't feel bad. (laughs) We'll talk about why after that, but here's the sentence. School personnel, particularly coaches or athletic directors, may not engage in any conversation related to athletic participation with individuals representing or employed by private athletic organizations, for example, AAU, club slash travel teams, etc., who are speaking about or on behalf of any student athlete. Now, I, I know when I first read it, I read it a lot, a few times, <laughs> just to make sure it, it's, it seems very encompassing. <laughs> there is problem number one. You had to read it multiple times. Somebody who covers a sport, it's not like they're putting in the where in and thereofs, and <laughs> it's not trying to trick us with the word. It's just, that's the problem right there. I, I've read it multiple times. I just listened to you again. <laughs> it's, and well, I, it's, it still don't have a, it's it's pretty ridiculous uh and and i'm taking over hijacking your take (laughs) it's okay yeah but it's stupid mike i mean (laughs) first of all uh, this is probably getting me mad these are educators all right that we're dealing with we're talking they're in education let's put together a smart ideal and 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 make it cognizant I, i don't it's not even clear no one understands it no one I talked to. And and so. I mean, I guess technically now that I was thinking about it, I guess I technically understand it. It's just so absurd. It's the, well, it's it, it, it says but, you but, can't talk about anybody. With, with, it's just too wide. A coach can't talk with anyone employed by an AAU organization about any student athlete. No, it's that's it's, insane. It's, it's, it's too big. But anyway, I talked to Steve Shans, Sandberg's athletic director, and he said it's purposefully vague. 
Okay. That was that, the goal. They wanted it to be the first step. And well, and then, well, and then no one's going to listen or follow or have their own interpretations. Cause I I've heard multiple interpretations of what they think it means. Yeah. I mean, it basically, and the IHSA didn't seem particularly clear on it either. You know, I, I talked with them and heard some different things. I, I actually wanted to talk to Craig Anderson, but I did not hear from him. I'll reach out to him again this week, but and then, you know, talking to Steve Shans, the, again, the Sandberg AD, they, they talked about, well, I mean, I'll just give you his quote. He said, this is a first step. The key is the quid pro quo where people are saying, if you hire me, you are going to get these guys on your team. There are a number of schools where you see coaches get hired and then you see one high profile guy or five guys go there. Now, to me, that was total news because that sentence doesn't mention anything about hiring. No, and that's if they're talking. I mean, we're talking basketball right now. That that as someone who covers it religiously every year, that doesn't happen. And the I mean, that, that, what are you talking about? That happens all the time, where there's just somebody's hired, and you can count on a couple fingers. I don't get that either. That's 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 your. Perp, that, that's your gripe, your your concern over all of it. I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't understand it all. It doesn't make any sense to me. And to just arbitrarily just throw this out there, I it just uh, go ahead with your own fish. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. I'm gonna say, I mean, and who knows if this is gonna pass? It's only a simple majority. I know there's a way more schools that but what uh, are they passing? yeah that's you can't, a, you can't that's got to be the problem right yeah it's too vague and it yeah it's just it, anyway um and i will uh, say it's not going to do anything that's my other point yeah it, it, exactly. it is not yeah. going to do a single thing yeah that was so. my take is we already have a recruiting rule that isn't enforced the, the problem is not the rule the problem is the enforcement and yeah, they don't have the resources. That, and, and, and I'm sorry, when it comes right down to it now with the transfer thing, and, I, and I've thrown my hands up and kind of given up as well, but in, in society now and culture and education, if, if, if the parents want to move their kid, they can move them. They can do it for any reason they want, including basketball. They can. Whether they want to say it can't be for sports, That's we know that's garbage. And the threat of lawsuits and the threat of the, you're just not going to stop it. Now, if it's the whole, we can prove you're not living there. Okay, fine. But how many of those have happened in the last two, three, five years? Those, it never happens. Yeah. So they don't have the resources to go and investigate. And they're, they're, and I'm telling you, it's not, if they wanted to, if they really, 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 really wanted to, okay, there are plenty of specific <laughs> players or coaches or that I know for a fact that they don't live in their their the boundary that they're supposed to live in. So it, I, that shows that tells me they really don't care because it would be easy to figure out if 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 it's as clear as what I've been told I'm told in certain cases and, and scenarios I, mean, I do i know them I, I but i'm not the enforcement agency so i don't care 
But if they really do you do you agree? I mean, if they really, really wanted to, couldn't they probably find one or two cases and really I just don't think well, they do. Well, I think I think there's actual proof. Um, I kind of see this story every year. I feel bad I don't remember the publication's name. It's one of the Oak Park weeklies, weekly newspapers. And Oak Park High School it has a, an issue, a regular issue, probably a long time, with um, kids from the west side of Chicago trying mm-hmm. to go to Oak Park High School. Mm-hmm. And, and every year, I believe it's every year, not just every two years, whatever, Oak Park goes through and finds, like, it seems like a dozen to 20 kids. Regular ed, regular yeah. ed students. Exactly, I mean, just regular yeah. students that don't live in Oak Park and are going there. Um, because Oak Park is worried about this. They want, you know... They want you to live in Oak Park to go there. So they are somehow able to do this every year. Um, I also kind of feel like those parents should maybe get an award <laughs> or something for uh, trying to get their kids such a good education <laughs> at Oak Park. I, I almost feel like they should just keep those kids and say, well done. <laughs> you yeah. got it. You, you snuck them in. Yeah. If you, if wanna... you can get if you can get them into a classroom before we find out, you win. <laughs> I, I feel like they should get parent of the year awards for uh, managing to get their kids uh... into Oak Park High School. But so, yeah, we know Oak Park is able to do it. So obviously, you know, it, it can be done. Yeah, I just say has they don't have resources to do it. It's just I, I, they have a lot. Anyway. All right. So I, I don't. And like you said, it's and I think my last point on this is I know a lot of people are upset about transfers. But boy, did they lose a real kind of, I don't know what the, they lost a bit of, to me, the foundation for their outrage when we had that coaching carousel in high school basketball, you know, late in the, or I guess early in the school year. I mean, the coaches are even, it's it was almost college basketball-like, you know, with the coaches moving around so quickly that left a lot of kids in the lurch you know, at a lot of places and led to a lot of kids moving, transferring, and now not playing. You know, there's a handful of kids at perspectives, leadership not playing, and they all moved based on coaching changes. So, it, so. Well, and the more and more you find out that you're able to do, you, you, you know what I mean? They're, they're going to do it. They're going to keep doing it. They're going to keep doing it. And, and we're past beyond it now. I mean, I, I don't know how you're going to rein it back in. I mean, I just, I don't. So, um. My, I'm like, you ready for my second take? Go for it, Joe. Uh, talked about transfers enough. You know, uh, Simeon. We haven't talked about them since our opening podcast, but we put them preseason number one, and they look like the preseason number one team that we all thought they'd be. They are, again, this is, they've played three games. We've all pretty much only seen them play once at the Chicago League Classic, and they went out and just dominated start to finish jumped out to a 17-3 17-4 lead over St. Rita in a high profile game the Chicago League Classic I I thought there was no question they were number one preseason number one and I know it's just one game and I know but I I don't know of any team that doesn't eventually play better than the first three games of the year if this team now, I'm going to say this also by saying, Wesley Rubin, congrats managing the college three-point line. Uh, it's a big man. I don't know how many threes you hit last year, but he uh, stepped out, knocked out. Was it four or five threes he hit? Yeah, I think it was uh, five of seven or something. Or so, right? anyway, I you know, I is he going to go out and hit three, four, five threes every game? No. When that was a big part of that first half and that, that decisive victory. But if this team plays at that level, I don't know 
I mean, they didn't even have to use Miles Rubin inside. I, they, you know, what I mean, he, they are a team that is built well together and put together. And I love, and I said this in the early, the first podcast that Wesley Rubin and Miles would continue to show because they say he made such a jump every six months. There's just this, there's just this significant jump with these two brothers. And that continued this summer uh, into the fall. I had some, you know, just big visions of these two being monsters this year. I think they're they're going to be. But I think the underrated part is that backcourt. And I mentioned in that first podcast how I love the idea of these two interchangeable guards who have experience playing point guard, Jalen Griffith, and he was the, the holdover from last year. And then the transfer uh, from St. Rita, Caden Space. Those two unselfish, putting pressure on the opponent and really playing well together, picking their spots, uh, not forcing things. You know, I, you know the one question I think you brought up, which was valid in the very beginning. You know, who is their go-to guy? Maybe you know, at crunch time or you need games on the line and you really need to put the ball in somebody's hands. Is that is that player there? My other concern was, do they have enough shooting? Well, if Ruben is shooting like that, they do. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I still think that's my one little bit of a of a question. Even though they shot it extremely well, I mean, they had. I think I asked. We were sitting at the game together, and they had ten threes through three quarters. So I, I don't. No one's going to shoot it at that rate in that clip, let alone a team that I had shooting questions. But I think that's my one area that I probably. We'll see how that materializes, but that Simeon performance in the opening, or not their opening, but the two kind of, you know, easy games and earlier in the week to get their feet wet, they were dominating, and those two bigs, uh, it's just hard to match up against that at the high school level. Yeah, they were, I just counted while you were talking, they were 10 of 22 from the college three-point line. And that was all within the first three quarters. Yeah, didn't when they didn't make one in the third. Um, oh no, they, okay. no, they did. They had one. So maybe okay. anyway, yeah, it was. I guess I, I thought Jalen Griffith was spectacular, and I think to me that answered my question about you know late in the game things bogged down. You need that guard that's going to get your bucket. Well, to me that it's clear it's him. Um, as much as the Rubens have improved, I thought Jalen Griffith was a huge step up as well. Um, I do. I wrote this in the paper today. I don't want to be whatever, but there have been a few years we've seen where the Simeon's performance, the Chicago Elite Classic, was the best, their best of the season. Best he, of the season? Yeah. Like that Kizo Brown year, especially, remember? They were fantastic. And then never kind of hit those heights again. So I'm a little, I don't want to get too, I, I don't get too over the top. I think they were great. I agree with everything Joe said. I, I just want to see them do it again. Yeah, there's no question. Um, We're basing it on one performance. Yeah. However, this is they're all seniors. That's the other thing. <laughs> they're just they, – I just don't I, – I will bet money. I'll put some money that that's not their best performance of the year. Uh, you know, it would be hard to say that when you just beat a top five team by 30. Uh, but – but hopefully, yeah, like last year they did it against Kenwood at Kenwood. 
that game was they were spectacular in it. And, you know, I thought about putting them, them number one over Glenbard West. And I, I kept waiting to see that team again all year and through the playoffs. And I never did. So yeah, and, I, I, and it's kind it, of the same we'll, core group. Yeah, we'll get into this a little bit in our topic but real quick. But that they're just definitely better than last year. I don't, You know, they, they, there's no question to me that they're I, I think it's a sizable difference. Yeah, it sure looks like it. Um, I, but yeah, I need to see it again um, from them. And that goes into, I guess, my uh, St. Rita take. Uh, I, I'm not panicked about St. Rita at all. Um, I know a lot of people are. There's a lot of anger on Twitter. I, I kept them ranked pretty high. And by pretty high, I mean high. They're five. Um, they only dropped a spot. They're two and three, so it doesn't look good. But they were all wins. They were all losses, you know, to good teams. I mean, the, the blitzing, I mean, they did get destroyed 87 to 59. It looked like they had no fight. They had nothing. It, it was just, it was really, really bad. If you weren't at the Chicago League Classic, it was as bad as you kind of thought. James Brown sat with some foul trouble, but he only had four points and a rebound. I mean, that's the number one junior in the state. Um, Morez Johnson played well. He had, I think, 16 and almost double-digit rebounds. In James, um, I mean, in James Brown's defense, though, he picked up the two fouls and sat the entire half until one minute, I think, one or one yeah. minute, 30 seconds in the second quarter. So, and, and then the game was pretty much – then he, the second half, they are down by 20-something the whole time. So not much you can do there. But I just – I don't – and I I sensed maybe they were a little rattled in the press conference, and Roshan Russell was was pretty honest And uh, when I was talking to him and said, you know, this is not – you know, I wanted to be tested. I wanted to go through adversity earlier, but I didn't want it to look like this. You know, nobody wants to get blown out in, in the Chicago League Classic in front of, like, the whole high school basketball universe. So I think they're going to have to take some time to lick their wounds. But to me, it's just really clear that Indrositis – Noya's Indrositis is just not – Mixon right now he's just he has not found it he does not look like the guy he was at Lamont last year you know I heard he might have had an up and down summer or what but he, he regardless of how he played over the summer he should still be a fantastic high school basketball player he has been already for two years so they've got to figure that out and I think it's interesting since you know he's playing with a lot of his mean streets teammates that high school basketball is just a different thing you know, than, than playing with them in the summer. And I and I think they're learning that now. And I think they've got to figure it out. And I think they will. I think they're going to still be a top-tier team this year. It just might take longer than a lot of us expected. What's What do you think, Joe? I mean, are you, do you oh, think my, we should my, lower expectations permanently this year? I, no, no. Um, my expectations were a little lower than some for them, not to the degree of what we're – I mean, the Simeon thing – it was a debacle. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't recall any highly ranked team that's full of stars and high major players ever getting dismantled like that. I mean, it was just from the tip, like I said, <laughs> yeah. 17, 17 to four, and it just got worse. My question, Mike, is what happens Friday night at Brother Rice? Oh yeah, a really <laughs> good basketball team. That's playing obviously well. And, you know, on paper, when the season began, you're like, it'll be a good game. St. Rita will be favored. St. Rita should win. My question is if things go south there, which I wouldn't be shocked if right now, would you be stunned if they lost to Brother Rice? No, not at all, especially at Brother Rice. Yeah, it's correct. 
Gonna so then you're game. looking at, okay, we don't have a game till then. Well, no, they play Montini this week, which they'll pick up a win, uh, beat Montini, and then go into another pretty high-profile game with a lot of eyes on them. And if they lose, then what then becomes of the psyche a little bit? Uh, okay, well, Simeon is one thing. Uh, Cardinal, Cardinal Ritter in overtime is another thing. Yeah, we lost to Juliet, but now we're losing to our Catholic teams. We're not now we're in the hole in our own league. So I just feel like there's a lot of pressure to perform well in this specific game now. And maybe they will. Maybe they'll rise to the occasion, beat up on Brother Rice, take advantage of that size they have. Um, and I, you know, Melvin Bell is still out. I keep saying that in every podcast, I think. Uh, but yeah, they've got to. They, they, they need to kind of write the ship, I think, sooner than later, even though you're saying that you're not worried. I'm not worried. I, I'm not lowering the expectations, but uh, there's there's some red flags without question. Because, yeah, of, you yeah. know, if they lost to Simeon by five or six or ten or and competed, I, I'd be singing a different tune. Uh, I just, it was, it was so bad. Um, I was puzzled by the whole thing, to be honest. And I guess the other red flag would be the nature of the loss to Jolia West. Losing to Jolia West wouldn't be a big issue. It was that they had the 16-point lead late. Right. That's a concerning way for any team to lose a game. Right. Um, for the They've taken some hits. I mean, they've taken some hits. And if he wanted adversity, you know, Rashad Russell wanted adversity, he's getting it. There, there's no doubt. There's no question he's getting it because they're going to they're gonna feel that as you lose you, there's more pressure i think than if you're winning <laughs> if that you know what i mean no uh, doubt yeah i mean for those who don't know the, the lanier team they beat um in uh washington they beat them good by 16 points that team beat joliet west by 13 points and they beat cardinal ritter by nine and they played in the championship of the tournament and lost to winter haven so that's a really good win they do have one really good win but boy, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens against Brother Rice. It's going to be a, a, you know, on the flip side, if they win that game at Brother Rice, yeah, it's a great changed. win. Yeah, Top ten team. Yeah, yeah. No so that that'll be all right. All right, let's um, let's get into our positive topic, Joe. Yeah, I like it. Uh, well, and it's positive for this year. Uh, maybe ne- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe negative from for for the look back. Uh, uh, basically, Mike came up with the idea that, you know what, looking at the, and then again, the season's young, but looking at what we've seen so far, the, it appears that, you know, Glenbard, for stars last year, Glenbard West dominated, start to finish. I didn't think anybody would touch them once I got to know that team. I really didn't. I think it was over once I realized how good they were and just what they were going up against. And that's kind of what we're talking about this year's core group of top teams, whether it's top 10, top 12, whatever is definitely deeper and stronger without question. Both Mike and I agree so far than what we had last year. Uh, I left that game watching Simeon saying, God, I'd love to watch Simeon this year play Glenbard West from last year. 
Yeah, that would be. I mean, I wanted to see the high level Simeon team play Glenbard West, and that didn't. You know, that was a horrible game. That Simeon Glenbard West matchup. But yeah, back bad. to our to our point. I mean, I think when you look down, I mean, Kenwood right now for all the praise we just heaped upon Simeon. If you sat me down and told me to do rankings, and I hadn't seen any game, Kenwood would be the number one team because they have the best resume. So that's who we've got at number two, a team that's already beaten Joliet West and young and it's just and, the second week of the season and kenwood mike is gonna is getting better yeah i mean chris, yeah. chris riddle I, I watched a lot of chris riddle this summer and he's been out with an injury the transfer he started out that came back uh he is a physical specimen who is tough a, another score another weapon six five that is going to be a huge addition when he's he becomes healthy in a, in a short time you look at the rest of the top 10, Brother Rice clearly looks like, you know, it's the same guys. They're basically older. Uh, Rolling Meadows, same thing. You know, we saw Bennett really impress me at the uh, Chicago Elite Classic. I know Joe was very high on them in the preseason after, you know, what he saw over the spring and summer. And they couldn't have delivered more. I I really enjoyed watching them play. They're going to be really fun to see a few games of them at um, Pontiac. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Joe went into Hillcrest, who... You know, Hillcrest had their highs last year, but also their lows. They seem to be a, a solid, as solid as last year for sure. And this one might sound a little weird, but I, it, it turns out Joe agrees with me. We talked a little bit before the podcast, but I think St. Ignatius could have a higher ceiling than they did last year, even though they went to state. Um, I agree. I agree. It, the potential there is yeah. even better because I think they have a potential. I saw them play. Uh, in a really good game against Lake Forest, Richard Barron stepped up. I think he has starlight qualities. Uh, and that's why I think they could be elevated even more. Yeah, I really liked Reggie Ray. He was a standout for me um, at the Chicago League Classic. I liked, really liked how he played. Um, but back to the list here, Curie, not, something's up with Curie right now. They're, they're not clicking right um, for sure. But theoretically, it's all the same kids with a couple added transfers. They should be better you know, than they were last year. Glenbrook North. Again, you know, the core is back. You know, they've taken a step up. Mount Carmel, I, Lee Marks, you know, was a huge addition. He was a really active, um, good rebounder, which is what they needed. Mount Carmel should be much better than they were last year. I mean, the list goes, goes, and goes. I mean, even Oswego East, who took it on the chin a little bit, I, I like the pieces there. Um, you know, they lost to uh, Yorkville over the weekend, but... Yeah, it's just, it's so positive to see all these teams I want to see play one another. And it's, I just felt it last, last year at times we were just kind of plugging through and there wasn't anything, you know, that well, dynamic. And, 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 and correct. And it allowed others to rise to the occasion and kind of sneak in. And, and, and again, we might have a team or two. I'm not ruling it out, but most of the teams we're talking about were expected to be good. They are good. They're living up to the early hype. They're in the top 10. Whereas last year we had a Barrington that ended up playing in a, in, in Peoria or a Champagne and you know finished third or fourth in your rankings. We had um, you know Wheaton South that kind of you know snuck into that top ten and you know and to their credit they took advantage of that. But yeah, I, I just think as a whole, I felt like that was going to be the case coming into the season, um, and it was taking nothing away from last year's Glenbard West team because they were dominant. Not only did they beat everybody? They they dominated and beat everybody by twenty or more usually. So I, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I, I I think that just lends itself to a unbelievable schedule that we're going to see in the coming months. I just tweeted about it when Mike put his rankings out. You know the event I put together when sides collide. I mean, right now, Mike, you have the top eight 
and seven of the top eight right now are going to be playing on that date, January 21st, against each other. And the only team that's not included wouldn't be in your rankings because it's Moline with the two Big Ten players and Brock Hardin and Owen Freeman that will be coming over here into the Chicago area and joining those other seven. So we're going to get a lot of opportunities to see all of these teams like square off against each other. It is going to be fantastic. I, I'm also pretty thrilled about kind of this little group of teams undefeated coming in. Like Yorkville briefly mentioned they had that big win against West Aurora. A young Maris team doing things. DeKalb and Wabonzi Valley are still unbeaten. So we got kind of some unknowns coming up that'll be interesting to, to see how they do throughout the season. And uh, with that, let's take a look, quick look at the week ahead. Uh, Tuesday, today, if you're listening to this on a Tuesday, it's uh, Marist at Notre Dame. It looks like the Dons are a little down, but I had it on here anyway. Waukegan at Lake Forest. There's a high-scoring freshman out in Waukegan that I'm interested to take a look at. Uh, Lindblom is at Hyde Park. Morgan Park at Simeon. And Kankakee is at Thornton. Um, looks like you know Thor- Thornton's taking some losses. Vincent Rainey's putting up big numbers, but I'm not sure uh, if they're going to be a Super 25 quality team this season. Uh, Wednesday, we got Lincoln Park at Westinghouse and Perspectives MSA at North Lawndale. It's a bit of a slow day. Uh, Thursday, some big ones. We got Evanston at Glenbrook North, Downers Grove North at Hinsdale Central, Simeon at Perspectives Leadership. Uh, Friday, some really good games. DePaul Preps at Mount Carmel, Fenwick at Loyola. We talked about St. Rita at Brother Rice. We got New Trier at Glenbrook South. And the one of the bigger rivalries out there is North Lawndale at Farragut. They're going to play on Friday. And, uh, We'll talk about the Team Rose Classic in a second, but there's also a shootout at South Elgin with two good games on Saturday. It is Hinsdale Central against Oak Lawn and New Trier against Rolling Meadows. And uh, real quick here, Joe, what's your uh, standout matchup at the Team Rose? Well, real quick, the thing, the matchups I like this week that I want to gain something from, Yorkville and Oswego East on Tuesday. I think that's going to be a really good measuring stick for Yorkville. Uh, I think that, Battle of Unbeatens, Glenbrook North and Evanston in that league. Central Suburban South is going to be fantastic. And then, you know, the, 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 the Team Rose uh, to me is is the Sunday matchups. Um, I, I'm most interested in the, actually, the Hillcrest Normal. I, I don't think you mentioned Hillcrest and East St. Louis. Oh, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of Hillcrest talk. But the, the question to me, Hillcrest has to travel to St. Louis to play a loaded East St. Louis team, travel back to Chicago, play a really good normal team on that Sunday. So that's the game I, I, I'm probably most interested in on Sunday. Yeah, it, uh, the we got Curie Mount Carmel on Saturday. Uh, that, that should be a really good one. Uh, looks at some other teams I haven't seen on Saturday. But yeah, Sunday's lineup's definitely better. It's also Brother Rice against Bloom. And then North Lawndale plays Perspectives Leadership in the last one. Oh, Evanston Marion Catholic. That's a fantastic 2 o'clock game. So mm, Yes. Um, always boy, so much the team Rose classic always provides all kind of breakout players and kind of new teams and things to look at. So it's going to be a long, but very fun weekend. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back at you next week.